HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of A Taste of the Past is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that's been making stone ground products for decades. Bob's Red Mill makes it possible to eat healthfully and cook delicious food. Go to bobsredmill.com and use the code TASTE OF THE PAST for 25% off your order. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this weekly journey through culinary history. And peppers, the fruit of the capsicum plant, is what we're talking about today. Peppers, the spicy little orbs that pack a lot of heat. They're one of the few species of edible plants that have continued to confound scientists as to their beginnings and ultimate travels, as well as to the acceptance of their having any potential as food. But travel and spread they did, and edible they were and are, to the point that almost every culture's cuisine makes use of the sometimes sweet but mostly always fiery fruit. (laughs) 
And with me today is someone who knows a lot about peppers, Maricel Priscilla, who is the author of the new and wonderful book called Peppers of the Americas, The Remarkable Capsicums That Forever Changed Flavor, published by Lorena Jones of 10 Speed Press. And Priscilla is, uh, Maricel, I'm sorry, Maricel is a historian and cultural anthropologist specializing in Latin American and Spanish foodways. She's president of Grand Cacao Company, co-founder of the International Chocolate Awards, and the International Institute of Chocolate and Cacao Tasting, as well as the author of The New Taste of Chocolate, A Cultural and Natural History of Cacao. Her previous book, Gran Cocina Latina, The Food of Latin America, won the James Beard Cookbook of the Year Award in 2013, and she was inducted into the James Beard Foundation's Who's Who of Food and Beverage in 2015. Well, if that's not all, Maricel is also chef-owner of Cucharamama and Zafrel Restaurants and the cooking atelier Ultramarinos, all in Hoboken, New Jersey. And she's no stranger to the world of peppers. From her backyard garden to her background of Latin American cooking and research. Welcome, Maricel. Good morning, Linda. You have a beautiful Spanish pronunciation. Ah, well, I try. <laughs> you said Cucharamama perfectly. Oh, good. And I, listen, I asked you beforehand because I, I usually <laughs> always screw that one up. Well, congratulations on this book, and, and also congratulations on the fact that it won an IACP award for, a ref, for reference, and it is up again for another, for a James Beard Award. You're a finalist in that category for reference and scholarship as well. Congratulations. It Thank is, you very much. I'm very pleased. That is, it's, it's a beautiful book. It's, it's a book that I have a feeling will become a staple on a lot of Cook's shelves. That was the, uh, the intent uh, of all the work that I put into this book, uh, from gardening to researching capsicums for yeah. a long, long time, started in 2002. I know, for me, I, in, in looking through it and reading and preparing, for the show, um, I do in the summertime. I have a, a place in the country where I do some gardening, and I love to grow peppers in the dry seasons. The wet seasons, no good, but the dry seasons. And I said, oh, I've got to keep this one up there because it describes every single it kind is, of It's pepper. a very good reference. Yeah. And uh, I, I try to be as thorough as possible, but I wanted to keep things under control by being able to grow every pepper that was photographed for this book. And I studied every one of them very carefully. Well, and you hired in a a very good photographer as well. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned Romulo Yanis. Romulo Mm -hmm. Romulo, uh, Yanis, who was a photographer for Gourmet Magazine for for about 20 years. And uh, he was my neighbor. He used to to live in Patterson, New Jersey. Very close to to my home in in Weehawken. And, well, I I started working with him because he's he's very talented. Yeah. Well, and but it's, also because he was very close, and there, therefore, he could come to the garden. Except that he moved <laughs> to San Francisco oh. <laughs> at some point, in, you know, in the project, and I had to send the peppers uh, to him uh, via Federal Express. But I had become an expert uh, in a previous project with Jim Oslin. Oh, was, yeah, uh, he was at Sabur, the executive the editor time, yeah. at Saver, and um, actually, the, the the person that inspired me to put my work. Uh, on peppers and writing 
and uh, you know, I you know, we we got down to a, the method to a science on how to ship peppers so that they would be in perfect condition. So I perfected that, you know, working with Romulo. So he could actually photograph leaves and flowers. You know, the papers look just freshly picked. They do. Because I was extremely careful. (laughs) They look like he went into the garden to take the pictures. Well, how that you mentioned a couple different things, but how were you pulled into that wonderful world of peppers and writing Well, I'm I'm from Latin America, so I'm Cuban, so... We didn't use uh, many hot peppers, except for my father, who used something, you know, devilishly hot called a hihuahuao. Um, but we cook with bell peppers uh, and with cubanelles and with this beautiful, tiny uh, sweet pepper called a hikachucha. Uh, it's a capsicum chinense, but it's sweet. Uh, so our cooking depends on peppers for flavor. It's just hmm. that they're not uh, striking uh, in their heat but they have a lot of flavor. So I am used to cooking with peppers. And then uh, working on Gran Cocina Latina taught me a great deal about peppers because I travel everywhere in Latin America, and most Latin American cuisines are pepper-driven. Yeah, and you really traced, I mean, you traced all the Latin American cooking. That, that again, is a So that was that was the background because that was my university. Mm. You know, I worked uh, on Gran Cocina Latina for many years. I had a great editor, Maria Guarnaschelli, mm-hmm. uh, who made me go deeper. So I really thank her for that. And I gained an incredible appreciation uh, for, for peppers. I saw farmers, you know, working with, with peppers. I, um, you know, I work with cooks that use peppers of different uh, degrees of heat, you know, with great skill. Uh, so that was my, my training. And you had a little bit of practical experience as well when, uh, by accident, I heard, in your backyard, right? <laughs> yes, when, you know, big Norway maple, you know, fell during a storm. And all of a sudden I had sunlight. But I, I made several mistakes, like I planted uh, herbs, you know, like epazote. And epazote grew just about everywhere. Yeah. So it was a menace. And I decided to change. Uh, and I started growing peppers, and I was extremely successful, especially with the capsicum chinensis. Hmm. Uh, I was very successful, so I decided, I, you know, I fell in love. It, once you start growing peppers, you can't stop right. because they are exquisite. They are, they are lovely. Uh, they're ornamentals yeah, because they're so beautiful, right. but at the same time, they're so useful. And once they start producing, Once boy. they start producing, <laughs> you know, it's by uh, the end of August, uh, my garden usually looks like, you know, a Christmas wonderland because, uh, the you know, the pepper plants look like uh, Christmas trees. Yeah. They're so beautiful. So I expanded the collection. And right now, uh, let's say last year, I grew more peppers than ever. And uh, it was over 300 types in, my 300 bar- types in, in a small New Jersey backyard. Yeah. Okay, well, how many types of peppers have been documented as existing? Do we know? Well, there are thousands, you know, because there is a lot. There are hybrids, you know, so you can't put a number to that. But we know that there are five dom- domesticated species of right. the genus Capsicum. And those, those five species, not that anyone would know when they go to the market to buy them, are the chinense you already mentioned? Well, it, the, the most important that people should remember is capsicum anum. Anum. Anum and then capsicum chinense because everybody loves habanero types. Those are the, and really those are hard. the ones really that, that have been um, propagated and, and used and, and celebrated Develop, the most. De- capsicum mm. anum mostly you know, uh, developed in, in Mesoamerica, but now <laughs> all over the world. I mean, bell peppers, you know, jalapenos are capsicum anums. The capsicum chinense is very important because, you know, you 
they're, they're very uh, aromatic. Uh, they're very nuanced in flavor. So uh, everybody knows habaneros, but they now know uh, the super hot uh, chinenses, yeah. like the bujolokia. Uh, you know, the, the capsicum chinense uh, family can be extremely hot, but also there are sweet capsicum chinenses. I mean, it is, I mean, your background as a historian and specifically cultural anthropologist, I mean, really gave a deeper understanding to the whole pepper story in this book. And I, and, and I really enjoyed reading what you said about it. you one thing you mentioned you said when you hold a handful of peppers you feel like you're holding history, living history in your hand living history, living history. So yeah. my background gave me a backbone uh, and it gave me also the tools uh, to do the research properly uh, and also I have a um, interdisciplinary vision um, so I look at many disciplines so I train myself in botany for example but I had already done that with cacao mm-hmm. so it was not that difficult at all. Well, this reminded me a lot of your cacao book because, I mean, you are, I guess, <laughs> prescient. Long before this whole bean de bar craze came up, you had already decided to to research and and look at the pod, the cocoa pods, and where they how they're grown, how they're harvested, how they're fermented and and dried. I mean, you yes. you've but done. I, your studies are very complete and very deep, and I, I thank really you. I, I really tried, but it was you know out of enormous curiosity that I did that, and it really served me well. It was a template yeah. uh, for the pepper book. Well, talk a bit about we talked about five species of, of peppers, but what about the beginnings? What what do we know about? Do we know really the beginnings of where they came from? Well, um, archaeology, you know, ethnobotany has advanced tremendously. And the problem with peppers is they come from, uh, they grow in, in climates that tend to destroy evidence. That I found very interesting, <laughs> yes. But, but you moist, know, so they're, but, moist, but they're there a little is, moist. But now, there are yeah. things that you can do, and there, there is uh, starch analysis. There's a number of techniques that would allow... Um, archaeologists or ethnobotanists to find traces of peppers in, in tropical in tropical climates. So we know that they're extremely old. We know that they come from um, you know what we call the Piedmont of Bolivia and the, the and the Amazon area, and we know that the vector of dispersal uh, were birds. And whatever birds went, you know, and they excreted seeds, the, you know, the plants grew. And then the silent gardeners of history are the ones who manipulated mm-hmm. the, the species and mm-hmm. turned them into domesticate plants. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that the birds in the intestines, there's something that coated the seeds that actually <laughs> protected the seeds. Protected them, right. Made Absolutely. them resistant to fungus mm-hmm. and, um, and insects and... And also the, the capsicum genus, you know, it's intelligent. I mean, peppers are intelligent plants. Uh, In what the, way? The, the way, it, well, that's an example, the, the production of capsaicin, for example, uh, you know, to make the berries very, very hot, uh, which makes them unpalatable to mammals. But birds have no capsaicin receptors, so they can eat the seeds. Huh. They fly, they excrete the seeds, the seeds come out protected already, yeah. you know, by some miraculous um, condition, you know, in the bird's intestinal tract. And, and you know, it's, so it's a symbiosis. There is a symbiosis right there. So the capsaicin is actually a natural defense mechanism for exactly. those peppers, right? And it's produced uh, under stress. 
in many cases. Mm. And I can see that in my own garden. When, it's, when you, you know, forget when to plants, water them, exactly, they're too when dry. I, when it's too dry, when I place some, uh, some of the seedlings in very sunny spots, you know, I, you know, I see that you know, the peppers that I get are usually very hot. Mm -hmm. It happens with very well-known sweet peppers that people adore, like padron peppers. Mm -hmm. Have you tasted oh, padron? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know that it's like Russian roulette. You well, might have sweet or hot, a bunch right? of exactly a bunch of sweet padron peppers, and all of a sudden there's one that really uh, it's extremely hot, uh, and it's because of that. You know, there's a, there's stress, and maybe that pepper had more sunlight. Uh, than the rest of the peppers on the plant. Hmm. Well, you were talking about the fact that they grow in climates that destroy any evidence of them ever being there. What um, the moisture? Moisture just you know destroys all that. Yes, but um, but then the scientists have other uh, special tools. You right. know, they can they can analyze starch granules. Well, you they, you told a story about one of the areas that they did a lot of research in, and that was El Brujo. El Brujo. Waka, uh, Waka, Waka Prieta. Prieta. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, that's, you know, this favorite, uh, it's a favorite spot uh, in Peru for me. It's in Peru. Um, I, okay. You know, I got to know it uh, through an article that I wrote for Suburb Magazine many years ago. And it's called Ancient Hunger. But I got to know the archaeologists in the area. And I, I was not planning to write a book about peppers, but I did look at ancient peppers through a microscope. <laughs> um, you know, by the, the archaeologists uh, who had invited me to go there um, had a lab. And so they had ancient seeds, and I found many pepper seeds. So I started thinking about it. I wrote about it in Gran Cocina Latina, but I didn't really understand the importance of that site until I was writing uh, the pepper book, because ancient seeds were found uh, in Huaca Prieta, and no, some Waka of the Prieta, so, Waka Prieta is a, it's a, it's a, it's a mound, a mound? it's like a garbage mound, <laughs> but you know, it's a very ancient uh, mound, and uh, Junius Bird uh, from the Natural History Museum here in New York excavated the area. Hmm. And he found, although he was interested in textiles, he found um, just a lot of seeds, hmm. capsicum seeds. They could not tell exactly at that point, you know, from what uh, family. Uh, later, you know, archaeologists working at, uh, in Berkeley, they found that the shape of the seed can also be a telltale sign uh, for the species. Oh, but they didn't yeah. know that. They just found capsicum seeds. Mm -hmm. And they also, um, they analyzed coprolites, you know, which are, you know, fossilized uh, feces. And through the study of the coprolites, that you know, it was somebody else who did the study, not Junius Bird. Um, it was found that the people who lived in Huaca Prieta ate different kinds of peppers and uh, with fish mostly. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. So those those seats are still in the Natural History Museum in New York. And what I was I was amazed to find out that we're talking about fifteen thousand years ago that these seeds existed. Well, this is um, you know the the findings that at this particular point is like about six thousand years yeah. um, before our time. But the important thing is that now we know that most of the seeds belong to Capsicum baccatum. You know, which is an Andean species. Interesting. Which is the ají amarillo that Peruvians love. So this led them to believe that the origins were probably Bolivia, right? Well, the the, uh, the research points at wild at wild uh, peppers. You know, usually when you have diversity, genetic diversity, it really points to the, 
you know, to the place where you know, species originated. Hmm. Um, in the case of cacao, we know it's the upper Amazon because there are so many wild uh, cacaos in that, in that area. So the more the genetic diversity, the more likely a site, you know, can be a point of origin. Well, we're going to so talk. that's that's the case of, of Bolivia. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about the um, genetic diversity and the how peppers have changed over the years. But first, we have to take a short break. So stay with us, and we'll talk more with Maricel Presilla on peppers. Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And muesli is one of those breakfast cereals you probably haven't tried because you were a little cautious about what's in it, or how to say it. Muesli. It's a mixture of oats, seeds, nuts, other, well, maybe some other grains, and dried fruits. It was developed around 1900 by a Swiss physician for his patients. And you know, it was something that tasted so good, it caught on, and it, it's been an old-world breakfast now ever since then. Our sponsor, Bob's Red Mill, makes a really good muesli. Nothing additive, no additives to it, just the seeds, the oats, their oat, and their oats are good. Um, dried fruits and nuts. Give it a try. I think you'll like it, and you'll be able to pronounce it. Muesli. And go to bobsredmill.com. Check out all of their products. And don't forget when you check out to use the code Taste of the Past, all one word, Taste of the Past, for 25% off your order. Hi, and we're back, and I'm speaking with Maricel Priscilla. She has written a wonderful book called Peppers of the Americas. The Remarkable Capsicums That Forever Changed Flavor. Flavor. Now let's talk about that because we think of peppers and capsicum and capsaicin. We think of only heat. But let's talk about the flavors of peppers because you you wrote in your book and it was wonderful how aromatic and, and maybe flowers and fruit mm. and talk about the flavors of the peppers. One of the things uh, that I did um, when researching the peppers for this book is that I place very close attention to flavor. I tasted every single pepper wow. that I grew and every single pepper that is photographed, which is uh, for the book, which is actually, you know, a, a small representation of what I, I actually grow every year. Hmm. But I sat at a table either in my backyard or in my kitchen with a knife and Armed with a glass of milk, (laughs) (laughs) I tackle every single pepper. So I took very, you know, detailed notes about flavor. I had already done that with chocolate and cacao, so I did exactly the same thing. So um, I examined the pepper for, you know, phenotypical details, you know, so I took great notes about the color, uh, how many seeds, you know, how big the placenta was, how thin or thick the skin was, but also I tasted and I was not deterred by heat. I, I tasted it. Must have an carefully. iron stomach too. <laughs> uh, so what I found is that you know the um, capsicum onions are very grassy. 
Uh, if you have tasted, you know, a wine and somebody described it as, as you know, having a bell pepper, you know, taste, well, that's that's it. That's it's, it. You know, you know what bell peppers taste yeah, like. Yeah. It's, a, it's a seal of identity. And so you taste a lot of that in other uh, capsicum años, even in jalapenos. Hmm. But everyone, everyone... Um, in that family has, you know, particular nuances of flavor that make it distinct. When you get to Capsicum chinensis, that's a different story because Capsicum chinensis are extremely complex. So they can taste like violets uh, or roses, but also they have disturbing uh, flavors and aromas. Turpentine, for mm. example, mm. Or, or fried onions or sweat. Uh, it's possible to find all that. In, you in know, tiny capsicum chinense, for example, ají charapita from the Amazon. It's extremely complex, but it has, you know, the disturbing notes together with violets. Hmm. So are the anums generally the sweeter side of most of the peppers? No, not necessarily. So the anums are the most bewildering in terms of shapes and degrees of heat. Shapes is something that I that I was concerned because usually you think of the wild peppers and pictures you see, you know, the botanists, um, you know, drawings. For example, and little onion. tiny rounds, little Ti- kind of round tiny things. rounds. Yeah. Um, you know, chile picking is very small, but right. it packs, you know, uh, a lot of heat. Uh, there is a, a chile picking that I love from Guatemala. It's called chile ululte among the Quechimaya, and it's it's smoked. Uh, and it's very hot. You have to buy the book to know what that one is, because I'm not even going to attempt to re- repronounce it or spell it for you. Ululte, <laughs> ululte. It's magnificent uh, from the highlands of, of Guatemala, which I, I, I make a spice mix with salt and cacao nibs, and it's extraordinary. Mm. It's fantastic with uh, um, fresh watermelon, for example. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's capsicum onion, too. Huh. And the chile, chile de arbol, which is very, very hot, is a, is a capsicum onion. Bell peppers have no heat. All right. So there is an incredible range of degrees of heat in the capsicum onion family. But nothing as explosive as what you can get with the capsicum chinense. But again, capsicum chinense is equally bewildering in phenotypic variations and also... Uh, in the degrees of heat that you find, you know, tiny, a tiny capsicum chinense like the jicachucha or, or the ají dulce that Puerto Ricans uh, use uh-huh. is very sweet. Oh, uh, but then you have explosive, you know, peppers, the habanero uh, used to be the hottest pepper there was in American right. market. But now we, you know, we know of capsicum chinenses that are, are absolutely, you know, like the moruga, scorpion. Um, chinense from Trinidad is very, very hot. On the Scoville level, it's it's off the charts. Huh? Off the charts. And, um, well, there is a Carolina Reaper. We don't know exactly what, what the background is, but it does have capsicum chinense in its composition. It's like, right now, it's the hottest pepper. Um, I heard about Dragon's Breath. Somebody had developed that in, in Wales. But capsicum chinense has the most variation in terms mm. of heat, from sweet to a scorching hot. Now, does shape have any is 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 shape any indicator of a pepper's no, heat? No, no, not at all. But uh, but I would say that uh, you know, as a rule of thumb, the larger peppers do not have much heat. Mm. Think about a bell pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, though some 
you know, have a bit of a heat, uh, you know, heat level. But I would say for the most part, the smaller the pepper, the chances are that it could be, you know, extremely hot. That was always sort of my, my rule of thumb. But <laughs> the ancestral peppers were tiny. Yeah. They yeah. look like, you know, tiny berries. Now, the the five species, but the two... Um, okay, so let's, let's say, yeah. you know, let's... Let's talk about the five. So, yeah. so we have Capsicum annum, Capsicum uh, chinense, mm-hmm. Capsicum frutensens, Tabasco is an Tabasco. example. Yeah. Tabasco, Capsicum bacatum, which is the ají amarillo of Peru, and Capsicum puvensens, represented by rocoto, uh, which is a fantastic pepper. It, it looks like a small bell pepper, although you can get smaller um, types, like the ones that I grow called, is called rocoto de chakra. It's much smaller, but if you go to Arequipa, you find gigantic uh, rocotos. And the distinctive quality is that uh, they have black seeds. Oh, interesting! Yeah. It's the only it's the only species of the genus Capsicum that has black seeds. Now, these five species; these are the ones that have been domesticated over the years. They correct? were domesticated in the Americas, but the ones that really had uh, an intercontinental uh, impact were. Capsicum annum, Capsicum frutensens. Think about the piripiri. Have you heard about the piripiri yeah, sure. mm-hmm. of Angola and Mozambique? Well, that's a Capsicum frutensens. Mm. And also Capsicum chinense, but that came later into the story. Because we find, for example, that uh, the Bujolokia, uh, which is so-called ghost pepper um, of northern, northern India, very, very hot, has Capsicum chinense with an introgression of Capsicum frutensens. So now these peppers, many of the the varieties, traveled so far across the globe, and not just by birds, obviously by traders and by traders. Yeah, the the first you know the first important uh, leg of the of the journey is Spain, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it is in 1493 that Columbus took peppers from Hispaniola to Spain, and so we know about it because Cortes's uh, secretary. Fernando de Gomara wrote about it and wrote about the moment in which Ferdinand and Isabella had a taste of the hot pepper and it burned (laughs) their mouths. So we know about that. We also know that uh, Columbus went on a pilgrimage to a monastery, uh, the Monastery of Guadalupe, the Virgin Mary, um, as a a form of ex voto pilgrimage because he had been saved from a storm by the Virgin's intervention. And so it's, you know, we can um, speculate that maybe he took peppers uh, to the monastery. But the thing is that returning settlers, you know, returning colonizers um, might have gone to monasteries, you know, on pilgrimages and, and given monks uh, like the Jerónimos, you know, mm-hmm. for example, of Juste, uh, the Guadalupe or, or, or Ñora in Murcia seedlings or seeds right when they were most likely gar- seeds known to be mm-hmm. great gardeners and exactly got a seed they'll so plant those it, are right? the places this this monastic institutions you know with their beautiful gardens right. are the ones that essentially develop the the farming of peppers in spain interesting and then and the and spain was only the beginning right and then just just the beginning but very important for latin america because the taste is for sweeter peppers and mm-hmm. bigger peppers. You know, they have the guindilla, which is the cayenne type, you know, which, which is the uh, quintessential uh, hot pepper of Spain. But they develop very beautiful uh, and juicy and meaty uh, peppers 
that then went back to the Hispanic Caribbean, for example. Uh, and, you know, the, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, we were big consumers of roasted, uh, yes. roasted, roasted peppers, pimientos right. morrones. Right. And then the pepper managed to make its way further well, the, along the, the globe. The Spaniards, too. of course, have this enormous impact, but also we had to think about the Portuguese, yes. you know, who were in, in Brazil and they probably took capsicum frutensis and maybe some onions uh, to Africa. Africa and then Africa and, and Asia. And Asia, right. Asia. So we were talking Think before the Malaga, show. Think about Malacca. Yeah, about, about the... And um, Macau. And the Asian uh, influence of, of the agribusiness of, of peppers as well. Um, they became great growers of peppers, right? Well, China. Yeah. China. And uh, we still don't know, you know, the uh, how peppers really made it to China. Uh, there are many conjectures, you know, the Silk Road... Uh, other researchers think about, uh, you know, the Portuguese influence. But I think that there are many routes um, through which peppers made it to China. And gazetteers, you know, uh, Caroline Reeves, uh, you know, researcher found gazetteers talking about peppers in different regions. But we do know, of course, that the, uh, the people of Hunan and Sichuan are the great pepper users. But the thing is that because in China everything changed. Uh, now peppers are used everywhere, and also they are grown everywhere. And the Chinese are really taking a, a lead in in um, pepper farming, and they're selling uh, pepper to Mexico, for example. Huh. Peppers to Mexico. Well, it's like us growing soy and selling it. Too. You go to the mercado de, to the mercado de abasto in Mexico City, and you see, you know, regional peppers together with bags, you know, full of you know peppers that come from China, and you can see clearly. People know the people who buy in this market know exactly the provenance. Hmm. You can see that, and you pay. They pay more for the Mexican. Well, that brings peppers. me to, of course, quality of peppers. You're talking about roasted and dried and. And you did mention, you talk about dried peppers, and you said that they deserve as much glory as the fresh peppers. Well, the, the wonderful thing about peppers is that they are vegetables, and you can use them green or ripe, but also when you dry them, you use them as spices. Yeah, so then it's the flavor component. The and flavor fresh, component it's, and, fresh, the, it's and the color. And they're nutritious when they're fresh. Well, the, also beautiful C, color. Right? If yeah. you, you know, for example, if you cook with the ají amarillo from Peru, just, it has an incredible golden color. It's mm. delicious, and it tastes like guava uh, and like tropical wow. fruits. That's the characteristic of the capsicum baccatum type. So they, they have their, their beauty. And, um, and you know, capsicum, capsicum chinense you use sparingly, maybe, in a ceviche. Uh, so at that point, it's not a vegetable. It's a spice, although right. you're using it fresh. Huh. But when you dry a pepper, you get something more. You get, you know, incredible nuances of flavor, and you get a deepening of colors. The basis of all mole, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, tell me about dried peppers, and, and you said not all dried peppers are equal. That you have to be very careful on choosing dried peppers. Well, What's when I go to a, to a market, you know, and and to buy uh, dry peppers, I I really ex- inspect them. If they are not in a package, I am even more careful. And I'm always uh, very careful uh, about rinsing them before using. I rinse every single dry pepper and I let it let it let dry. It dry again. Yeah. What do you before, look for when you say you, you inspect it carefully? What well, are you looking for? I'm looking for insects. I'm looking for you know freshness. Also, you don't want to get a pepper that is too old. So all these things matter, but also insects and you know debris. 
you know, you can get a lot of dirt on a, I mean, in a bag are, of peppers, even if the ones that are in, in a plastic package. Yeah. But, I mean, they're all meant to be then put under hot water and, and reconstituted, Not necessarily. Right? You know, no? you, don't, you don't read that, the instructions on a lot of recipes. that they, You know, they basically tell you to, uh, to roast, you know, to dry roast. I always rinse carefully, and then I let it dry before I dry roast. Mm-hmm. And you need to dry the peppers well because you don't want them to steam. You want them to roast. Right. You want to have that char uh, beauty, that smoky flavor. Right. So I go through always, you know, the process of putting them in water and uh, cleaning them very well. You mentioned the the char and the in the and the wonderful odor. Is there any truth in some of the anecdotes about? The <laughs> aromas of peppers being used as a, a punishment? Or? Absolutely. And, yeah. and the Codice Mendoza, the Mendoza Codex, you know, we see a mother, you know, holding a child. A child didn't behave well yeah. on top of a chili fire, <laughs> you know, as punishment. But also we have, you know, other details that are used here. Um, you know, Duran uh, tells a story of this, um, you know, this Aztecs who had uh, complaints, you know, about a, you know, tributary um, kingdom that uh, had killed, you know, the Aztec ambassador. So they went to complain. <laughs> and so they said, okay, the king will come to tell, you know, to take a, a good care of you and to treat you the way you deserve. But they, they were placed in a room. They closed the doors oh. and they were suffocated, you know, with a, a chili fire. They died. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, I mean, you, you only have to put chilies in a in a hot pan with oil or without. Because you pan. couldn't breathe. Don't stand over the pan, right? Because you it'll take you a long it's time a, to you breathe. You know, it's uh, you know, I open the doors uh, and the windows when I'm you know working with some peppers, uh, and sometimes you know I do it in the backyard. Yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had bad experiences of, you know, accidentally standing over the pan and breathing it's, it in. Oh, it's, it's hard. You know, yeah. Some of these papers are weapons. Yeah, they are weapons, they, and right. They, and they have been weaponized. But they are also absolutely delicious. And what's, I think what's wonderfully um, amazing is, is you include some recipes in the back of the book. Which, I decided to do it. Yeah. And um, more, you know, although there are 40 recipes, but there are actually more because every recipe has several components. But I really take people by the hand, the reader by the hand, and I say, this is what you can do with peppers, both fresh and, and, and dried. Yeah, it's a, a nice variety of... of uh, I have very simple recipes that make a difference. For example, uh, vinegars that are infused with uh, hot peppers. And uh, I have a recipe from, from my home region, Oriente, where we have this tiny pepper called a Hihuahuao that was grown by the Tainos. Hmm. And probably it was one of the peppers that Columbus and his men tasted there. And it's extremely hot and delicious, but it's a, it's a capsicum frutensis. Uh, it's related to Tabasco. It tastes like Tabasco. It has that vinegar, almost Tabasco sauce-like huh. Huh. Uh, flavor. Huh. So I love it. And um, in my home region, um, cooks prepare something called mojito, which is not the alcoholic drink, drink, (laughs) but it's this infused vinegar with uh, the hiwa wow, and it's delicious, you know, just a very simple recipe. So you have the the peppers in vinegar and uh, in a a bottle at the table, and you, you know, just sprinkle your food with it, because we do like acidity in our food, so it's just perfect to have a bit of heat with it. Yeah. Um, We were, we mentioned Japan. We're trying to think of cultures that 
embrace pepper, but not not greatly, just not wholeheartedly. <laughs> they use it. For, yes. We're talking about togarashi, and we both love togarashi, but they sell it in such tiny little yeah, vials. That, and I can use it. But a actually, lot, they, but, they don't even sell uh, the uh, you know the pure uh, powdered uh, pepper, but they they have it's ichime togarashi, which is a uh, you know it's a spice blend. It has sesame seeds, for example. But um, it, what is fascinating is that the Japanese uh, got peppers from the Portuguese, and then they took peppers to the Koreans, who absolutely cannot live without hot peppers. <laughs> yeah. uh, and talk about differences. But in, in in Japan, people use tiny peppers, you know, dry peppers, you know, for heat. But then they have uh, bell peppers and they have manganji peppers, which are delicious. They're sweet especially the ones from Kyoto, which I grow in my garden. Oh, nice. But I, I was recently in the, uh, on the island of Chichoku uh, working with uh, women farmers. They, they grow lotus. And I was also with, you know, uh, people who um, raise and harvest wakame, which is this beautiful seaweed. Uh, seaweed. Yeah. And uh, I decided, I, I cooked with them. I made lunch at a cooking school uh, in Tokushima, and I made a ceviche with the wakame. And the uh, and the lotus, and I used the um, the togarashi, the dry togarashi that they gave me. But I also I had brought ululte, the Guatemalan smoky uh, hot smoky pepper. pepper, and I, I roasted, you know, I dry roasted the the ululte. I mixed it with uh, sea salt actually um, from the area, and with cacao nibs that I had brought, and I made it, you know, just a beautiful spice blend. And I used it for the ceviche, and, and you know my, and I used shrimp too, uh, for the ceviche, and um, the farmers loved it. The women were crazy about this, and they said they promised me. And I also also used you know the beautiful small lime that is typical of the area. But the women said that they would do this recipe. Oh, interesting! You know, uh, in their, you were their just homes. An ambassador for uh, I was, for pepper use. and I also I also brought um, I made mole there. They brought wow, the ingredients. Wow. I made mole, and uh, they promised me that they would really try, uh, you know, to approximate the mole. That's great. They thought about it as a miso, as miso sauce. They understood mm-hmm. it. They, yeah. they understood the, the the uses of the mole perfectly. And um, that's, a, that's a nice analogy, actually. I, yeah. I serve the uh, I serve the mole with their beautiful pork and and chicken, uh, and sweet potatoes okay. and all kinds of vegetables. Okay. And and you know they cleaned the plates and they wanted more. <laughs> Well, I am fortunate to have in the studio two of your goddaughters with me today, too, Sophia Hi. and Lucia. Hi. Hi. I have a question to ask of each of you. Uh-huh. Do you like peppers? Yes. I love jalapenos. You love jalapenos, bro. Well, I she, love it. She well, drank a whole bottle of milk. She, it yeah. was so hot. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> but, like, that was the first time I tried a jalapeno. A, a whole jalapeno. A whole jalapeno. Yes. Yeah, well, but not many the second nine, yeah. time I had a jalapeno and I ate it and Marisol was like, yeah. What? <laughs> Not many nine-year-olds what? have have the the temerity to to try a whole jalapeno. Yes. That's that's quite good. Um, well, I have to say that there is so much more in this book, and as I say, it, it said at the top of the show, I think it's going to become a reference book for anyone who cooks with a lot of peppers, or grows peppers, or just enjoys. I want the whole world. Pictures, I, right? want, I want the whole world to cook with peppers. It I'm is, a crusader. A Good, and and quite an ambassador as well to mm-hmm. you know, to other countries for the peppers. Thank you so much for sharing this, and and best of luck in in 
all of your awards and and uh, the ongoing adventures. And in my with the new book. gardening season. And your new gardening <laughs> season for sure. I I'm, the pictures are beautiful that you have from from the last seasons. I can't wait to see more pictures. So be sure to post those on social media. Okay. Thank you, Linda. All right, and thank you, and thanks for listening. Again, this has been a taste of the past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.